The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in American New York, this is Sports Talk New York. From the crossroads of Merrick Avenue and Sunrise Highway in beautiful Merrick, Long Island, New York, this is WGBB's Sports Talk New York. I'm your host, Mike Winone, along with my co-host, Chris Caputo, as always. Brian Graves behind the glass taking us home tonight. If you want to chime in at some point, 516-623-1240. Again, that's 516-623-1240. We'll be hitting a lot of different topics tonight. We have a couple of great guests on. But before we do any of that, again, welcome to my co-host, the man we call Cappy, Chris Caputo. What's up, Cap? Hi, Mike. Good talking with you. I'm real excited for tonight. I think it's going to be fun. We'll preview some of that stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm excited for another another time. How you been? Doing good. You know, basketball is in full season here on the high school level for us. Uh, be coming your way tomorrow night to take on East Rockaway um, into the playoff push. Uh, I'll be far from that. Ah, okay, good man. Good, I'll send you the updates. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's a, it's a great time of year. And, and, you know, we're talking late January here, almost getting into February. And with the AFC Championship, what do we talk about, as always, the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, so my opinion basically is the NFL got what they wanted. The Kansas City Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. Um, repeat, you know, pe- team from last year. You're going to have, even though she's not singing, you're going to have Taylor <laughs> Swift there, which is what people want. It's oh gonna bring, God, they're yes. going to have so many more viewers. Yep. Um, I also think that... Um, Mahomes did a really good job of taking all the naysayers and putting them down. You can't play on the road and win. And he went into Buffalo and did it, and he, he managed today's game to win. I, you know, he didn't win the game, but he managed it well, and he did a good job of using Travis Kelsey and using his other options. I thought Spagnuolo did a great job defensively of keeping, um, you know, them out of the end zone and also, you know, making sure that the MVP didn't use his legs. Absolutely. So I thought they did a good job there. Uh, but I just thought that, like, this is what everybody wanted. Now, are the Lions going to be able to hold on and, and put themselves in the NFC championship win? I don't know. But um, it's interesting. I thought that, again, wasn't a great game, but um, but, but, but was good, good TV. And it's kind of, you know, people want to see the Chiefs there. And congratulations to the Chiefs. You know, they deserved it. Um, they went in and, and won a game in Baltimore. Um, and, and they should be the, the champions. Well, you know what? You, you mentioned quickly that the Lions and the 49ers, and right now it's 21-7 Lions, 57 seconds left with the ball on the San Francisco 15. So they might be the team of destiny so far this year. They have been. Uh, be a great story, like you said. Um, you know, the, the Taylor Swift uh, matchup there with, with Kansas City, of course, you know, uh, will bring other fans to the, to the broadcasts, although not like the NFL really needs any more people with the Super Bowl, but um, it is that's definitely the one team they were looking for, and I think in a dream matchup for the Cinderella story to have the Lions there, too, if they do hold on, uh, is really a great thing. You know, Patrick Mahomes, you mentioned that proving the naysayers wrong. Guys who are, are of that ilk as an athlete, boy, they look for any little thing, any oh, little yeah. nook and cranny that they can use for, for motivation, and just give them a little something, and boy, they, they were off to the races with it. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, held on at the end at that nice fumble recovery in the end zone. Um, kind of sealed it. I just think that um, it was too little too late, and you can't put yourself in, in such a hole as, as Baltimore did. 
Um, but I really thought that, that Kelsey stepped up his game. Um, I will say that, you know, when people say, oh, there's like a fix on this, I really do <laughs> feel like, you know, that the NFL refs kind of keep an eye on that. And supposedly this referee today is one of the guys who has like the most penalties given against the home team and, and, and away teams win way more games than, than normal when he plays. And it was eight penalties for 95 yards for uh, against Baltimore and only three penalties for 30 yards, you know, against uh, the Chiefs. So, I, you know, it just kind of brings up a little sticky situation. But the Chiefs win, move on, and, uh, you know, in a couple weeks, everybody will be watching the, the, the Super Bowl and be happy. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting scenario when you bring up those things with the officials. It's sports is sports is just too professional sports, especially the NFL. It's just too popular, and and you know too much in the American American sports world is seen to not have those little things looked at, like you said with the officials. I mean, because everybody's going to break down everything possible. Uh, but we'll get back to football, you know, in just a little bit. Uh, but we're very excited this evening. To have a special guest on with us, Mr. Tom Herter, who is in himself a former NCAA basketball player, has some great stories with that Santa basketball. Uh, he's a proud father of a couple of college athletes as well as an NBA player in Kevin Herter, and we'd like to welcome him to the show right now. Tom, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, uh, I wanted to say hello. This is Mike Winone. I'm going to throw it over to Chris in just a second because I know you guys go back pretty far, and, and he has... A lot of great questions lined up, but um, so on a on a football Sunday, is it is there such a thing in your household as a football Sunday, or is it all basketball all the time? <laughs> uh, well, we, we had three games yesterday, so today's an off day for the Herder family. But <laughs> there was still basketball watch, but the football games are definitely on. So yeah, <laughs> as a diehard Steeler fan, I don't have a ton to root for, so I've adopted the Lions because I love the underdog story and I'd like to see a franchise that's never won it get so, a ring. So I'm, uh, I'm cheering for the Lions. Well, so far, so good. And, and this this timing actually works out great because we're, we're kind of coming into halftime of that game, so we'll make sure that we get you back for the second half. But I'm going to throw it over to my partner, Chris, right now. And, again, we appreciate you having coming on this evening and, uh, you know, giving us your insights. So for those of you that sure. don't yeah. – for those of you that don't know, uh, Tom Herter is the father of four Division One basketball players. Um, Thomas, who played at Siena for three years and also finished his career at Catholic University at D3 School. Kevin, who played two years at Maryland and is now playing for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, and Megan, who started at Providence and is now at UAlbany. And Jillian, who's playing at Rutgers. So four kids, two daughters, two sons. And uh, himself, he also played for Siena and... Uh, was part of a team that was in the 1989 NCAA tournament, first Siena team to make it there. Um, and so he's had the opportunity to kind of see this from different lanes. So, so Tom, we appreciate you coming on. My first question is the process of finding the right college fit for each child, starting with Thomas, which happened to be at your alma mater, um, what was your role in, that, in, in each kid's process? Yeah, that, that's that could this could be a long answer, so I'll try to keep it as, yeah, as brief as possible, Chris. But uh, you know, all four kids had different kind of recruitments, if you will. Uh, and starting with Thomas, um, Thomas actually graduated from high school his senior year. They won the state championship. They beat Brentwood, which is a, a Long Island school, yep. um, and 
when he was going through his senior year, uh, he didn't have a ton of you know Division One scholarship offers that you know were of interest to him. So we gave him the option to do a post grad year at Cheshire Academy. Right. And um, honest truth, as soon as he said he was doing a post grad year, it seemed like the floodgates opened and he had a ton of offers. Uh, how that works, I have no idea. He was still the same person, still the same player. Uh, but he went through the recruiting process, and I think the biggest influence for him was he grew up in Siena basketball. I did Siena TV and radio for 20 years, and you know, both my sons, yeah, both my sons grew up going to Siena games. You know, I would get there, you know, two hours before the game, uh, get your notes, get set up. We would go on the air actually an hour before the game, so I knew a lot of. I have a lot of broadcasting experience with that, but the boys, in a good way, from the time they were probably like five all the way up until they're you know fourteen, fifteen, then they were too cool to be ball boys anymore. But they were ball boys on the court with a lot of great teams. Fran McCaffrey uh, was probably the best years at Siena that the boys had. Um, they lived that. They lived that with the McCaffrey boys, both Connor and Patrick. So uh, still very close to them this day. But so because I think of. Uh, Thomas and Kevin growing up so close to the Siena program, going to practices, traveling with me sometimes to road games. Uh, I think Thomas had that influence, and I think he, once he got an offer from Siena, uh, he wanted to go there, so that was a little bit easier. And, you know, Kevin's process was a little bit different. Uh, he was a junior year behind Thomas, and so he was a junior on the state championship team. And that kind of opened a lot of doors for him uh, and opened a lot of eyes, I guess. And so he he had a lot of great options. Uh, you know, the, the visits he was uh, taking were, you know, Villanova, Maryland, Notre Dame, Michigan. And he was keeping a fifth one open just to see what would play out. And um, he took two visits. Uh, we went to Villanova, mm-hmm. and when Aaron and I left Villanova, we thought there was no way he was not going to Villanova. Mm-hmm. Jay Wright and his staff did a great job. We love the school, you know, so much history, and um, and he didn't commit. One of the rules we had for all of our kids: when you go on a visit, you're not going to make an emotional decision and decide right there you're going to sleep on it 24 hours later then you can make a decision uh and then like two weeks later we went down to maryland and if we hadn't put that rule in place kevin would have committed right on the spot when mark turgeon had him at half court with all the lights off at uh the uh, maryland arena and you know he was sold he wanted to go to maryland loved everything about it and the next day he called mark turgeon and committed to there so um you know, just different processes, I guess, uh, quickly with Megan. Megan was a COVID recruit, so she was uh, had Division One offers, and then COVID happened, which was her junior year, and then lost her entire spring-summer AAU because there wasn't uh, spring-summer AAU. So she had to go through a virtual recruitment. Um, and she chose Providence over a lot of schools and, uh, you know, never really connected with the coaches the way she thought she would. Uh, and then she ended up really wanted to come home. Uh, you know, again, she could have gone to some schools that weren't uh, in our backyard. We're in upstate New York, Clifton Park. Chris, you know it well. Um, and she wanted to come home. And, and she had had a 
relationship and a history with the Albany coaches, so that was an easy decision for her to make that choice to play her last two years at Albany, and this year has been a great one, uh, you know, for the team and for her. Um, and then Jillian, uh, she actually in her junior year in the spring was playing AU and tore her meniscus in her, in her knee, so she lost six months, lost all the summer live period and. We told her the same thing. If you need an extra year, just do a post-grad year. So she played her senior year, was still recovering from a knee injury, but then really worked hard and got herself ready for what was really her senior year of high school and that spring and summer because she was doing the extra year as a post-grad. She went to Kent, um, and then once she was able to play in front of a lot of coaches, uh, she, in a similar fashion as Kevin, uh, just had – a lot of interest from a lot of high level schools and uh she chose Rutgers uh just she had a real connection to Nikki McCray uh who unfortunately passed away this past uh this past fall um and you know Nikki really uh got through to Jillian uh talked about her development talked about the player she could be and uh, she believed in that so Rutgers has been good for Jillian she's playing uh you know Really good minutes for a freshman, but you know she's still a freshman, and uh, so all four kind of had like different paths to get there. Uh, we utilized the post grad year for two kids. I'm not saying it's uh, works out the way it did in a favorable way for our two kids uh, that it will work out for everybody that way. But uh, the extra year definitely helped uh, two of our kids, and um, so that all, all the the different processes we went through. We're all different, but in a lot of ways similar in that the decision was theirs. I kept telling them, this, the next four years, uh, it's their life. Um, I could help them with what to look for and ideas on, you know, what they should, what's important to them. Uh, academic piece was always checked off uh, immediately. And then it was a, a feel for the coaching staff and the team and, a, and a, the way they play type of fit. But at the end of the day, Chris uh, and Mike, it was, I always told them it's your decision because it's your life, uh, and the next four years they have to live it. They can't make that decision based on on what uh, their mom and dad might tell them. That's some amazing stuff, Tom. And you know, I was thinking as you described um, Kevin's visit to Maryland with the lights and, and every and you know wanting to commit on the spot. I can only imagine you know yourself as a as a Division one athlete having played basketball at Siena, as you mentioned, and you know fast forward thirty thirty years or so. From when you were a recruited student athlete, was there anything that was like over the top or anything that you could never have imagined during the recruiting process that really kind of blew you away that you saw in a positive way or just, you know, kind of like a Hollywood type thing with, with your kids being recruited? Uh, you know, is there something that you see in the movies that you go, hey, that's really real? Yeah, you know, fortunately, I think, you know, college coaches look at, each kid in a different way and how they're going to recruit them. You know, in some ways, you know, the coaching staffs, they're writing a scouting report about each kid. And they're looking at what they believe are the important aspects for each of those kids. And, you know, having myself gone through the recruiting process, you know, for me, I stayed close to home. I grew up you know, the next town over from Clifton Park, so Siena was a 25-minute drive. But I visited Richmond, I visited Penn State, I visited UMass, and I visited Siena, and I saved my 
fifth one in case I didn't know and wait till after my senior year. And fortunately, Mike Dean was the uh, first-year coach at CNN. He really sold me on his vision, um, and he liked big guards. You know, at six foot six, I played guard in college or wing, uh, as well as another local recruit for us, Jeffrey Robinson. And you know, he sold us on you know being his system. And so, as far as my kids, and, and I'll ask you, Mike, I, I, I think. We passed the litmus test as a family for knowing what to expect and knowing what would be, you know, frankly, what was BS and what wasn't. So we didn't get thrown a lot of, like, fluff. We, I think in a good way, respectfully, I think the staffs treated us with a great deal of respect as a family and my my kids. Uh, So there was a great deal of substance to what we were listening to, and I think – in a lot of ways, we were fortunate with that because mm-hmm. I think nowadays there's a lot of fluff that gets thrown towards kids, for lack of a better term, and, and they believe it. Uh, to me, the fluff is, you know, the social media post. Sure. Um, you know, I, I would tell my kids, if you ever post that you had a great phone call with this coach and they were interested in you and thank you, coach, for your time and all that stuff, I said, you will not, you know, drive the car for the next two weeks. Your cell phone will be taken away, that type of thing. You'll never be back on social media. So our kids never posted anything about their recruitment because you know why? doesn't mean a darn thing. Yeah, right. At the end of the day, the kids have to be good enough to warrant that interest, whether it's basketball or baseball or whatever sport it is. If the kid's not good enough, they're not going to get the interest from the college coaches so what what does it matter that they put something on social media that they had a conversation with someone that always drove me crazy so it's i I think in some way you know to answer your question hopefully mike but i I don't think we're ever blown away other than you can definitely see the resources at the different levels Mm -hmm. and having two kids play in the big ten uh, having a son that played at Siena, which is in the MAC, you know, it's a private Catholic school, so their resources are not going to be what Maryland or Rutgers are. Right. Um, so you can see the subtle nuances to the differences of, and resources that the kids get, that the athletes get. And the same can be said for Providence. You know, there's not a huge difference between what Providence gets and what the University at Albany provides their student athletes. Um, you know, nowadays kids get cost of attendance. Kids can, you know, make NIL money. Uh, so it's a different landscape today than it was even five years ago or, of course, 30 years ago. Sure. But, I think in a good way, Mike, I think there's a lot of substance to what, um, you know, we were presented with. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, they knew our life history and sure. they pushed the buttons that they thought. Oh, of course. You know, uh, John, B- John Beeline came to one of Kevin's baseball games at Shenandoah his junior year just to see him play baseball and then just to talk to him afterwards and show how much he was interested. And that was actually after the Villanova visit. So I think John was worried he was going to commit to Villanova. <laughs> and he, you know, he flew in and, you know, went to Kevin's baseball game and then talked to him before his practice that night for AAU. So, you know, all the coaches, they, they get to know the player if they're doing their job and they know if, you know, they know if mom graduated from Siena or if she sure. played basketball or if the dad did. So, uh, you know, that type of stuff is always going to happen. But um, I, I guess in a lot of ways our, our kids were recruited based upon their merit and based upon the substance of each school, not necessarily 
hyperbole, I guess. Again, this is Chris Caputo and Mike Cardone talking with Tom Herto, who happens to be the parent of four Division I athletes, including Kevin Herto, who plays for the Sacramento Kings. Tom, um, I know you, you coached a lot uh, of your kids growing up, AAU and travel, um, you know, including coaching baseball uh, for Kevin and, and Ian Anderson, who plays with the Braves, and his brother, who's in the minor leagues. Um, what were some of the positives that you had from coaching your kids? I just think the the connection, the time you get to spend with them. Um, you know, I was fortunate uh, for both Thomas and Kevin. I coached them with AAU basketball, and you know, let, let's face it. If I, I was fortunate enough to play the game, uh, I played in college. I played baseball actually a year at Siena. I played in high school, so I, I love the game of baseball. I'm very much, uh, I think, a person that studies both uh, any game I watch, and so when it came time for my kids. You know, you take an honest look at what else is out, there, what else is out there, and it's not just about your own kids, but it's about their group of friends and what you believe they could have if you create a good environment for them. And you know, I think that was the biggest thing uh, I tried to create for all of our kids. And um, you know, whether it was baseball coaching with Kevin's group, which had a lot of talented players, and Chris, you mentioned Ian Anderson and Ben Anderson, Ben still in the Rangers or organization. Um, you know, and on the basketball side, being able to coach Thomas and Kevin and travel, and then both Megan and Jillian and travel, and both Megan and Jillian AU, uh, it, it was the best of times. And now I don't have any, the kids are older now, so I don't get to coach them. Fortunately, I'm still able to watch them on TV, but those were the greatest times. So, you know, and, and the time you spend with your kids, and, you know, you're the coach on the field, and you're the dad once you get in the car. And I, I tried to, you know, my coach at Sienna, Mike Dean, did a great job of telling us, you're going to hate me on the court because I'm going to try to get the most out of you and get the best out of you. But as soon as practice ends or the game ends, I'm Mike. I don't want to hold a grudge if, you know, I had to yell at you in practice. So I think I took a lot of that to heart, whether it was my own child or uh, the other kids I coached. Um, you know, they're, we're all just human beings, and they have to enjoy it. And I think – you know, with our kids, the work ethic was, uh, I think, instilled at a young age. There's a process. You don't skip steps in the process. You know, you make a layup before you attempt a three-point shot and, you know, that type of thing. And, um, you know, I think our kids were all great in following that, and, you know, I think they believed in it. And um, so I think just the times you have with your kids, you know, going on the road for 10 days for regionals or going to – AU Nationals, where you're on the road for 10 days. You know, those are the best times. Um, how much do you think the kids had to sacrifice in order to get good enough to play at the Division One level? And do you think each of them would say the sacrifices were worth it? I do think they would say the sacrifices were worth it because uh, they all love the game. Um, and, and, you know, they're, not every season is um, – you know, is all rosy. You know, not every day or every week is, you know, the greatest scenario. There's, there's a lot of mental hurdles that, uh, they have to go through at both the Division One level and even the NBA level. There's a lot of competition. It's a big world out there. Um, and not everyone is, you know, your parents or your high school coach who thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, they have to, uh, you know, try to get the most out of everybody. And so there's, there's a lot of mental Olympics that goes into being that athlete, let alone 
the sacrifice that it takes, you know, between studying and doing well in school and then putting the time in to their craft, whether it's before practice, during practice, or after practice. Uh, and I can speak for Kevin. He said this, and this is actually something I was talking to someone this morning about. Um, you know, my son Kevin plays for Sacramento Kings. He's in the sixth year of the NBA, something we never really talked about when he was younger. His dream was to, you know, make his high school team. His dream was to play in college and make it far in the NCAA tournament. It was never to be an NBA player, and I think he's unique in that regard with other players in the NBA. So I think he always kept his goals very close. Um, and, you know, for him in the NBA, he spends as much time after a practice or after a workout in recovery and preparation for the next day as he does building his body and working on his craft. I think that's a big difference uh, between nowadays. But uh, but I guess, that, sorry it's long-winded, but Chris, to answer your question, I don't think they would change a thing because they all love the game. And I think, you know, having a dad that taught them the game and then bringing all four of them to the Siena games so they could watch those and the great years that the Siena programs had, uh, taking them to Shenandoah, the high school that they went to when they were younger to see the varsity teams play, the JV teams play. You know, that was all part of the process of enjoying it. And I will say this, almost all four of them, still their closest friends to, the, to this day, are the kids that they grew up either playing with in high school or before or even college. 100%. So I think from a so, social standpoint, they have a lot of very tight bonds with those people. So I don't think they would regret the commitment that they made to get to the level that they uh, got to. Yeah, that's something I would definitely agree with is that, you know, people ask me about Kevin and I say, you know, he's just – He's the same person that he was in high school that he is now and, you know, finds out that he's going to be getting traded to the Sacramento Kings and he's like, well, I got a trip out to Long Island that I'm going to make with my friends and I'll do my, my physical afterwards. Like he just would, he sticks with, uh, with, with what he's got and I think that's kind of, you know, what Mike's going to top on next. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just great to hear those things, Tom, that, that the kids have kept those bonds going. And I know, uh, Chris and I were talking before you came on. Uh, about the Impact Athletic Center, which is a, a venture that, that your family has been involved in, um, this great facility in upstate New York. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how it came about? Sure. Yeah, Impact is a it's a six-basketball court, nine-volleyball net facility. Uh, pickleball has obviously exploded, so we can put 18 pickleball nets in our facility to, to tell you the size of it. So it's six regulation high school basketball courts, uh, and we can put three regulation college or MBA courts uh, uh, in the same footprint. So mm-hmm. it's a, a sixty thousand square foot footprint, eighty thousand square foot building. Uh, I'm uh, on the, the, the site right now, looking at some of the photos. It's it's truly unbelievable. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it was it was something that. Uh, we had looked at about 15 to 20 years ago, and then uh, another family approached us who had a, a volleyball-centric uh, mindset, uh, and we decided together that we would uh, build it, uh, which is not an easy task. We, we literally put a shovel in the ground during the COVID mm-hmm. shutdown, so we took a gamble thinking that we would come out of it and that people would want a place to go to and that the schools could still be locked up and not renting their courts out. Uh, so, you know, we were able to build it in about 11 months, uh, actually 10 months, wow. uh, opened in October of 2022, 20, 21, sorry, mm-hmm. 21, and then 
um, you know, since then it's, you know, we've hosted, you know, cheerleading events, wrestling events, um, basketball tournaments, volleyball tournaments, um, they say wrestling, uh, you know, just, sure. you know, the large, the, the square footage that we have affords us to be able to put a lot of people in the building, but you know, the best part of it is, you know, Kevin is a part owner, as we are, uh, Aaron and myself, and our family is uh, you know, basically 50% owner of the facility. And it was a dream, not not because we wanted to have a revenue stream. It was more of a dream to be able to bring the community together uh, and, and give back. You know, there's nothing like impact in our area, so we knew the area needed it, and. You know, the, the, the most fun I have is going there and just seeing people I may not have seen in a while or, of course, bumping into the people that are like-minded that are just, you know, sports junkies. Uh, this weekend, uh, a long-time friend of mine, Greg Kubek, who was my year of high school, 87, Greg played at Duke for four years. He's uh, famous because he played in four Final Fours. Yeah. He was the first one to do that, along with his classmate. Greg now lives in Los Angeles, and he's the manager of a facility in L.A., and they're running a national tournament. Greg rented our facility this weekend, so I got to see Greg for two days, and Very he and nice. I caught up a lot. And yeah, That's, a, that's a, the, the great thing for me uh, with impact. But for our kids, you know, it, it gives them something to – be able to work out at and help grow. Kevin comes back in the summer, and you know now Kevin doesn't have to be in California at their workout facility because he has everything he needs at Impact. So for Aaron and I, we love having our kids here. <laughs> sure. um, so it's it's been great, and you know we've had you know kids go through there that were drafted in the NBA, and you know we also have the kids that you know may not make their varsity basketball or volleyball team, but no, they just, they're just they playing sports because play. they love it. And we have people who are older who play pickleball and just want to stay in shape, use our walking track. So uh, it's, it's really for all the athletes and all the people that just want to be active. Well, that's great. Well done. I'm going to ask you one or two more. I, one of the things is, you know, as we're talking with Tom Herter, the, the father of Kevin Herter in the NBA, what role do you and Aaron have now with Kevin as a professional in the NBA, as opposed to maybe being like a college parent or a spectator, um, you know, how, how are you guys as parents still kind of helping him through everything that he has to go through as now this is his profession, this is his job? Yeah, I think um, he definitely has people that help him navigate aspects of his World, you know, he has an agent who's a very successful, uh, powerful agent, if you will, in the NBA. Mark Bartlestein, Priority Sports out of Chicago. Uh, and actually, I'll, I'll flip back. That reminds me. One of the things I always told uh, all four of my kids is keep your high school coach involved in your recruitment. And I think that's very important. A lot Thank of kids. <laughs> want to keep their high school coach out of it. And I think it's the worst thing they could do because those college coaches will call their high school coach and ask for a reference and ask for what type of kid is he and what type of teammate is he. And if it comes down between one or two kids for a position on a team, it could come down to that conversation that that college coach has with their high school coach. So um, in, in thinking of that, the guy who 
connected me with Mark Barlstein because this is Kevin's sophomore year at Maryland. Uh, this is before he even played a game his sophomore year. Mark Turgeon, his coach at Maryland, to his credit, called me and said, Kevin's going to start to get a lot of interest at the NBA level, and you're going to get a lot of agents that are going to be calling you trying to recruit you, Tom, as the dad, to represent Kevin when he makes the decision to put his name in the in the draft. And you know, to, to Mark Turgeon's credit, he recommended Mark Bartlestein to me, and Mark's been a great agent for Kevin. So as you know, Aaron and I, we fill in where we're needed. I, I don't, we try not to overstep where we need to be. But at the end of the day, Chris, we're still mom and dad. Yeah. I mean, he's still calling us. He's still calling us, asking us about different things with whether it's his insurance or his car insurance <laughs> or if he's doing some uh, things to the the house that he owns or you know he's he uh, bought a house on Saratoga Lake that mm-hmm. we're excited about because we think it'll be a focal point for our, our families in the summer and of course it's another reason for him to come home. <laughs> but you know, Aaron's up there a lot helping him with that. So in a good way, Kevin. Uh, has not stopped being our son just because, you know, he's in the NBA or he's making a lot of money. And in a good way, his advisors that he does have, you know, his CPA is a friend of mine. His financial advisor is a friend of mine. Uh, So it's he, he trusts us to help him navigate things. You know, he, of course, is venturing out and doing things that he wants to. At the end of the day, it's his money. It's it's his life, but um, you know he still calls. I talk to him quite a bit after almost uh, a lot of the games, or at least texting. We're very active texting and very active communicating with him about whether it's his play on the court or what he may be going through. You know, this year has not been the easiest of seasons for him because there was some question whether he was going to start and if other guys could get minutes, and then his role kind of changed. And to his credit. You know, he stayed the course. You know, I, I don't think Aaron and I have ever been more proud of Kevin than we have been for this year because he stayed true to his work ethic. You know, the first thing I always tell the kids, if things aren't going their way, go look it in the mirror and figure out what you need to do to be better. And then I think Kevin's done that. And then he's controlled what he can control. It's a big thing with us. Control what you can control. Yeah. And he's focused on that. And now he's back to playing, I, I think, the best he's ever played at. And he's healthy, and he's back to a role that is a significant piece to the Kings, which is what he wants to be. He he very much cares about winning, not about stats. And I, that was true through his high school career. He could have scored a 1,000 more points, but he'd rather win a state championship. So um, I think as far as what our role with him is, we're still his parents. Uh, he still calls us for things. He's very active with our entire family, text group. Every single day he has a game, we wish him luck. Every single day Megan has a game, we wish her luck. So does he. Every single game Jillian has a, a game, we text her and wish her luck, talk about the, the game quickly. But it, it's definitely a, a group effort to stay connected with the kids, and I, I think he's done a good job of keeping us connected with what he has going on in his life. One more uh, rapid fire for you. I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit. Um, I'm not going to, you know, say best this or best that, but of the four, one attribute, whether it be an intangible, something on the court, off off the court, um, you know, what, what would you say for each one? I'll start with the youngest, with Jillian. 
Um, what's her What's her best basketball attribute? Who I, I think Jillian is a quiet competitor. Where she um, I, I can't use the term, but she goes from zero to screw you pretty quickly, and that helps her in a competitive environment. We'll just say, and I think with Jillian, you know, she's got great length, great athleticism, but. Uh, and, and, and she's very skilled. They all worked hard at that. But I think her competitiveness is something you don't expect uh, and, and that her desire to win is something that helps her. Okay, Megan. Uh, I think Megan just has a, a toughness about her, and she's very cerebral. Uh, you know, she in life uh, is a very caring person, and in, on the basketball court, I always used to say this, uh, and Mike, you'll appreciate this as a coach. I, I teach kids a, a play, and there's some kids you have to re- redo it five, six, seven times. Yeah. Uh, with Megan, <laughs> I teach her the play once, and she knows all five positions. So I, I think, first and foremost, Meg is, Megan's a, a competitive player who's always just had a tough edge about her, uh, and anyone who's played against her, I think, would say that, first and foremost. Uh, and then secondly, she just gets it. She sees things. She's very smart on the court. Uh, and I think that's just from growing up at the dinner table, listening to the conversations she has, I would have with her brothers or that her brothers would have with each other. She's always taken it all in. All right. And then quickly, Kevin and Thomas. Oh, Kevin, I would say, is driven. Uh, always has been. Uh, quietly, just driven. Organized. Uh, knows what's the right thing to do never steps out of himself, never tries to be more than what he is, uh, but he's just driven. Uh, and I think Thomas would go back to, you know, he's the cerebral, just understands things. He's a connector. Uh, he knows, gets along well with everybody on his team and um, knows what where they should be, what they should be doing. And uh, I think those are probably first and foremost. And, and you know what, Chris, they, they all – really worked hard at their skill. Yeah. You know, they were the ones, you know, pounding the basketball 500 times a day. They were the ones doing form shooting before they shot outside of 10 feet. So, you know, they were always had that mindset of you don't skip steps and you work hard. So they all, they all four of them had that. But I think individually those are the things that probably separate them. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you giving us some time. It's been a pleasure. You know, my, my son, J.J., was – Always excited to, to hang out with your boys and, and be able to play with them. So, um, you know, the time that you gave us, I appreciate it, and the stories are good, and we always wish the best to, to all of your kids, you know, as we watch them play on TV and, and also see them in the backyard sometimes. Yeah, thank you, Chris. I miss seeing all those kids during those years. As, you know, we enjoyed uh, J.J. and Kevin's upbringing, meeting at Clifton Park Baseball and in fact, the last time I saw J.J. was at the State Fair in Syracuse, and I was there because Megan and Jillian were playing in the State Fair game. So it always seems to be you know, sports-related that we bump into people, but it's always enjoyable. So thanks for having me, and uh, Mike, hopefully I get to meet you in person sometime. I hope so, Tom. Thank you so much. It's no doubt that your, your kids are as successful as they are based on what you've been talking about tonight. They have a great father, great family, and support system, and uh, definitely look forward to meeting you at one point, and we wish everyone all the best going forward. All right, thank you both. All right, Tom, be well. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back for the second half of Sports Talk New York here on WGBB.
listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And welcome back to Sports Talk New York here on 1240 AM 95.9 WGBB. Mike Wadone along with Chris Caputo. Now we're going to switch gears just a little bit. We were lucky you know, to talk some basketball and just life lessons and business with Tom Herter, and now we're going to go onto the ice with our own Johnny Sticks, John Santa Maria, who's had a busy week covering the Islanders, and uh, we're going to talk not only about the team's play, but also the change in coaching ranks. John, welcome aboard. Good evening, guys. How is everybody? Everybody's doing well, thanks, and uh, you know, happy to have you on because not only is this just an important time in the season for the New York Islanders, but uh, made some news as of this last week. Um, getting rid of Lane Lambert as head coach and bringing in NHL great Hall of Famer Patrick Waugh to lead the charge. Um, I guess my first question to you is, we can get into the minutia of that in just a second about how it went down, but in, uh, I was at the game against Vegas the other night, and I had my own ideas as someone who follows the team as closely as you do. What have you seen as a major difference since Patrick Waugh has taken over? I feel like they played a more complete 60-minute hockey game, but I feel like not everything is there yet. And the the timing of the change from Lane Lambert to Patrick Waugh and then to the All-Star break, you have a week where you could really sit down. You have enough film to watch now. I didn't know what to expect this week game-wise, but one, two, and one, three points going into the break, not the worst thing in the world, but now you have a lot to work with to really see what you want to fix when you get back onto the ice and practice following next weekend's All-Star game. Absolutely. You know, I'll tell you, John, the one thing that, well, it's actually two things, I guess, that I really could tell a difference in, in watching the team in person against Vegas. It was, number one, um, getting the puck on net, which, uh, you know, everybody in the arena is, shoot the puck, shoot the puck, which, you know, anytime you go to, to an Islander game, that's always the, the chant in the stands. Oh, yeah. but, but really, I mean, there was there were shots of goal and there were scoring chances. I think that was number one. And kind of playing to what you said about playing a more complete game, um, they were finishing their checks. Like each, each shift really had a, a purpose. And while, you know, I don't know from a strategic end whether – uh, a new coach can, you know, kind of implement their own system right away. But it certainly seems like his stamp is already on the team, just in one or two things where they're talking about playing a more aggressive, you know, band yeah, of I hockey. Yeah, I think you could do that in the short span of time. I think the the, the other technicalities, the things they got to get fixed, like the penalty kill, which has been a problem all yeah. season long, that'll come. Just everybody's got to be a little patient there, putting some new things in the way you like to do them. Yeah, but, and also, John, I got As far as even the offense is concerned, yes, the aggressiveness was key. And I think what he's going to do is he's not, he, he gave Oliver Walsh from a chance to play last night, yep. and he played okay, so I think that'll keep going. I would not be surprised, as we come out of this All-Star break, if Matt Martin's more of a healthy scratch, and maybe even at times, too, Kyle Clutterpuck, to really get a feel for everybody else, because I think... There will be some more changes coming eventually to the team, 
I can tell you right now, Patrick Watt did not come here to be an interim coach. He will probably be here past June as long as he wants to be here. Yeah, I think so, so. He will slowly, quickly put his stamp on this whole thing. And I think, John, the team seems a little more engaged with him around. Like there, there's a purpose with them uh, on the ice. And, and I think that is probably going to stick a little more long-term as well. Don't you think so? Yeah, and I, before you guys even ask the timing of the thing, I will tell you this, though. This is my whole thought of the whole thing because it has to go with something you just said. One, I was shocked when the name Patrick walking out. I was like, okay. And he did a pretty good job in Colorado. There's no questions about that. They made the playoffs his first year. They missed it in the second year, but they had 90 points in a, in, in a central division that is always tough, as we know. And then the third year was 500. It's the way he left there that threw a lot of people off, the way he clashed with Joe Sackett at the end. So maybe that's what took him. Maybe that is what took him eight years to get back into the NHL. My thought was he was happy with his life, coaching junior hockey, owning that team he had. What more am I going to do? Do I really want this? Sometimes you lose the itch and are okay with just the junior hockey. But, no, he clearly wanted back in. And the one thing he said in the beginning, he has no interest in do management again because he had that in Colorado. And clearly it did not work to do both. So he strictly just wants to coach. He wants this just as much as all those players do. Believe me. And that's the vibe I've been getting since he got here, that he left unfinished business in Colorado, that he wanted to win a t- win something as a coach. And he didn't get to finish what he started. He wants to finish the job here. Quick question. Um, second runaround for Semyon Varlamov and Patrick Waz. They were together in Colorado as well. And Varlamov came out and said he had goosebumps. He's a great leader. Got a lot of emotion. Um, do you think this is kind of also a... Uh, you know, a pat on the back for, for him to be the goalie here um, because he's had that interaction with Wa in the past? Absolutely. I think you gave him a four-year extension for a reason. You want to keep the, the continuity going. Because what would have happened if Varley did leave for a starting job? You'd probably be running through back of goalies the way the Rangers are going to now. Because unless Jonathan Quick is going to continue to take a home down discount, the more likely than not, you're going to be trading back of goalies every year. Yeah. And you don't want that either. If it's working, he wants to be here. If Varlamov is more consent on staying in one place, taking a little less money, but the years were more important to him, fine, I'm okay with that. And you know what he could bring you. He's had a good, he had a good couple of games coming back. A little rusty that first period in Montreal, but other than that, he's looked pretty solid. So, John, let, let's talk real quickly about the timeline on this, uh, you know, they spoke with Wa. He said that, uh, you know, he had kind of started watching the team at a certain point. It, it, is there some, it, could you take us through just basically what you believe was the timeline of them kind of speaking with him and getting serious about this? Do you think it was something that kind of came together quickly or was it, you know, maybe in the works for a couple of weeks? So what I think, what I think probably happened was, Lou Lamorello was probably waiting for the right time to do it. And the loss in Chicago was the icing on the cake, as we all know. I think Patrick Waugh got contacted probably a week prior. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not sure what's going on. You have an interest in coming to the NHL. I'm not sure, but I'm thinking about maybe uh, tweaking some things up. I'll get back to you. And then it turned into... 
as Lou said, the only one I wanted to call was Patrick. He probably wanted to make sure he had his stamp of approval that he wanted to come, and that's how it all went down. Yeah. And that's how everything got down and running. The one thing I said, too, I said, if you were going to make a coaching change in the middle of the year, it had to be for somebody who was going, who, somebody well-known, never thought, like I said, Patrick Wall would come here. I was expecting, honestly, and you'll have Ranger fans who are going to call me crazy, but I was expecting to call Gerard Gallant mm-hmm. because he was the best name available to me because I never expected Patrick would want to come back to the NHL, but I was wrong. Well, you know what, he, he he was a name that I don't think anybody could have seen coming because it just he's been off the landscape for so long, and um, it was definitely that kind of shock value in a good way uh, when it came across, you know, we were all chatting about it, you know, on text and just different social media outlets on their own were, were saying what a, what a surprise it was. But, you know, I could tell you, you go to more games than I do um, at UBS, but there was definitely, you know, I was there his, sec- his second game, uh, the electricity in the building was palpable, and like I said, you you could see the team. You know, they, I think no matter what sport you're talking about, and I think Chris would agree with me on this. When there's a coaching change made, generally the first game out of the bat, there's there's just a difference whether uh, you know the players like the coach or were happy about the change or, or you know it's mixed. There's just a different energy. But I can tell you that second game, you could still feel it, and and there was certainly you know. A difference there. Do you, did you feel they that? They played in, in fine the against Vegas. They played fine against yeah. Vegas. I think. I think it was an energy for everybody. I think if Wayne Lambert walked into that building against um, Dallas, that would have been a problem. Yeah. Well, it was just you know I, I think everybody was kind of fed up with with his kind of monotone delivery in the in the post game and you know saying the same old things. And there's only so many things I guess you can say when when. All the problems keep coming back and forth, and that was just his personality. But a guy like Wah, I mean, who literally, I think, in his first NHL game, almost got into a fight uh, coaching. Uh, yeah, with Bruce Boudreaux, who that, that's another I mean, name. Who I was thinking too. Yeah, was going to possibly coach the Islanders. But then again, when you look at Lou Lamoureux's past, he's got a little circle of people he goes to. And then um, remember Patrick Wah from his days in Montreal, very strong connections to Jock Lemaire, yes. who works for the Islanders, to Larry Robinson, who. Who was his devil's coach and very, they're all, and Pat Burns are all very connected. So, but if it wasn't, well, I was expecting, honestly, Gerard Gallant or Bruce Boudreaux. Well, I, listen, I, the, the move had to be made, and I think they, yeah. they, they certainly, you know, it, it's a high, it's a high reward. I don't think there's much of a risk because, you know, whether or not he's, He's years out, or you know, the end of the season into a couple. He certainly is given the, uh, you know, the franchise a jump start. So we talked about shots on goal. We talked about um, taking less penalties. Other than those things and, and turning over the puck, I think which was a big one for you know that everybody could see. Um, what would you like to see coming out of the gate after the All Star break with this Islanders team to show that they mean business in the second half? Play with business every night. And that means playing a full, complete game, no mental lapses, and giving the guys an opportunity who have earned that right. Don't be messing around with the line. So if Walshman keeps playing well, let him play every night. Don't feel obligated to playing people just because yeah. of their name or what they meant to the organization. Well, that's you know what that, that's a great point because you have a guy who came in who literally has no you know affiliation with the Islanders at all. Um, you know, other than you know, just playing against them back back in the day, so he has 
I would assume that he has full reign to play whoever and whenever he wants. Yeah, and you would just hope, and that means if that Martin needs to sit, you let him sit. His days are done. If Cal Clutterbuck, you feel he's struggling, needs to sit, you want to do something different with the fourth line, I'm all for it. You want to mix the D pairs up, you want to mix the forward pairs up, that's fine. But don't mess with what's working, and I think he knows better. Look at some of the guys he's played with in his career to leave Barzell and Horvat together. Definitely. Well, John Santa Maria, we thank you as always. Thanks for the insight and being on top of the Islanders and, and the changes. And we're certainly going to follow up with this conversation in a couple of weeks, see where they're at, and hopefully the uh, the enthusiasm. Start making a run. Yeah, let's let's hope so. And uh, you know, yeah, and then there's a lot of good things to come. I mean, MetLife Stadium will be here before we know it, and right. that'll be the first meeting between the Rangers. So you never know, and the Islanders. So you never know what'll happen outdoors as well, too. Let's let's just hope it's a cold night. You know, it's not fifty-seven degrees, and you know they're, they're skating in soup out there. But it's certainly going to be a fun night. Yeah, second half of the season is going to be interesting with the Rangers and their up and downs. Um, and uh, can't wait to get going with it. Enjoy the All Star break, Johnny, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks, pal. John Santa Maria once again checking in with his Islanders beat, and uh, yeah, some you know the second half of any season, especially the NHL season, that's when. You know, you get down to the nitty-gritty with it, Chris, and uh, yeah. we're, we're looking now at the going into almost the second half. I mean, the All-Star break is not here for NBA, but we were going to yeah. kind of transition into the Knicks here a little bit. Um, you know, with them playing as well as they have since the trade, Julius Randle separates his, his shoulder mm-hmm. yesterday, but hopefully doesn't look like, like too big of a, of a deal. But big trade since we've been on and, and spoke Knicks with them uh, bringing in O.J. Ananubi, O.G., sorry, Ananubi, and um, – you know, parting ways with uh, Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that trade has paid dividends in the short term. What do you think yeah. in long term? Well, I mean, you're 11 and two. You're the hottest team in the NBA. You really can't say that there's a downside to the trade. I don't want to hear people say, "Oh, this." You've also given guys on the bench who didn't have a spot a chance to start playing. You know, some of the backup guys are getting a chance to play. The question becomes: Quentin Grimes. Yeah, he's hot and he's cold. And he's getting a chance, and then he, you know, in December, I think they kind of gave DiVincenzo a chance to play a little bit. What is his role, and is he possibly going to be traded to somebody like the Hawks or the Wizards? I know there's talk about getting a guy from the Wizards as a big man, um, because Hartenstein might be back, might be out for another. But if, if Hartenstein's going to be back in two weeks, do you want to give up a guy like Grimes for that short term? Because then at that point, that guy has no spot. On the roster, um, you know that Mitchell Robinson is probably going to be out. But can you kind of get by for two weeks, or are you willing to give up Grimes because you can get a guy who averages ten and seven from another team that's going nowhere? That's a good question. You know, I I would say at this point, if it, if it is a two week window, you know, stand pat, see what you can do for a little bit. Um, before you know it, the the market is going to be flooded with guys who are on their buyouts on on contracts too. So you never know who's going to become available then. Although it looks to me like that's going to be a little bit more guard heavy than than big guys. I mean, yeah. you always try to stockpile as many big bodies as you can. But um, yeah, at eleven and two in their last thirteen games, and you have a tradable asset. If it's only going to be covering a couple of weeks, you know, hold on to it. Yeah, I know it's tough. Uh, the guy they're talking about is Daniel Gafford uh, from the Wizards. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if that gives him. I mean, Hartenstein's been better than I expected him to. I think at some point he'll probably come down a little bit, but. I would say for right now, the Knicks are the hottest team. Just stick with what's working and, and keep it going. And I have to make sure, like, 
we there was a lot of stuff that kind of went back and forth, and and people were ripping, um, you know, the Knicks' best player. Yes, but <laughs> he's been unbelievable. He has been. And people say, oh, when he was in college, he used to back down people half his size. But point guard or not, like this guy is an unbelievable player, and he's stepping up every game, putting up big numbers. Almost a steal for what they got him for yeah. you know, on the free agent I mean, market. Well, you, you do have to admit they had to give up a draft pick because yes. they tampered because his father was part of the team. Oh well, <laughs> but Brunson is, is oh, phenomenal. He is he is as advertised, if not more. You can see now being you know being let loose in New York. In Dallas, he was you know they he, could you even call him Robin to to the Batman of Luka Doncic? No. Or he was he was Alfred probably the Butler and no. uh, you know. Commissioner Gordon, somewhere in that range. Yeah. But right now, he he is Batman in New York and and doing a heck of a job and making it exciting to be a Nick fan and to go to these games again. Well, I'm going to throw one last thing out there. Okay, these are my two things that I want to get rid of in sports. Okay, number one, the Yankees need to get rid of the no beer policy. Okay, okay, I think it would attract more people to the Yankees. I think there's guys out there. I don't want to say Charlie Blackman or whatever, a specific guy, but there's a guy who I think would want to come to the Yankees. It's time to get rid of it. I, years ago, that would work. The second thing is, you can't storm the court unless oh. you unless you win the NCAA tournament in your own place and you're a mid-major. That's it. No more stor- storming the court. Well, interesting. We're gonna have to. We'll get to those again. I like the beard talk. I think everybody would probably agree with you on the storming the court. But it's been a great night, Tom Herder. Thank you very much, John Santa Maria. For Chris Caputo, for Brian Graves, this is Mike Hudon, WGBB Sports Talk New York. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, and keep watching, keep listening. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.